Well, good morning, 9 a.m. Yay, thank you. It was a little late, but I appreciate you guys over there bringing it. Dan, thank you for that. My name is Michael Fueling, the lead pastor here at the Village Church. And uh, this morning is a standalone sermon. If you're new with us, um, ever since the beginning of 2020, even before COVID, we have been um, preaching through like one-off messages that we call Together. And what we do is we kind of take an opportunity to look at what's happening around us, what's happening in our community, what's happening in our church, and, and, and really to make sure that as we move into the future, we are united, we are one family in, in Christ. Next week, we're going to continue the book of John, and we're going to start a short series on how Jesus made disciples, and the mission of the church is to make disciples, so we want to make sure that we look to Jesus, the best disciple maker on the planet, amen? And we're going to learn from him, how did he make disciples, how did he call people to himself, and we're going to, we're going to go deeper there. So there, there is something really special about the place most people grew up. In fact, we, we have this really unique vocabulary around the places we grew up. So for example, you have your hometown. Your hometown, it's the place you grew up. It's the place that formed you. It's the place that shaped you. Just let's have some fun together. Uh, I'm going to say, what's your hometown? Somebody shot out one of your hometown that's not in Illinois. Davenport, and then what was another one that was good? Reno, gosh, God bless you, you got out. Yeah, what else? Atlanta, Sheboygan, is that Michigan Sheboygan, or is that Wisconsin? There we go, Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin. It's interesting, even as you say these names, like all these memories and, and, and like, uh, uh, like uh, just really meaningful moments, for some of you to speak of your hometown, and, and you probably are the minority, there's a lot of pain there. And to even think about your hometown brings up some PTSD and you're like, I never, ever want to go back. We have another, we have another word, we call it our homeland. And our homeland, it's, it's the country that you grew up in and people are ferociously protective of their homeland as they should be. And so we go to war to protect our homeland. And for many of you, you have committed your life to service in this country and some of you in service of, of another country that was your homeland. It's very powerful. It has a, a pull on us. And, and for some people here, you've actually watched your homeland as you left and came to the United States and you've watched it degrade. You've watched people die, value go down. You've seen all of these terrible atrocities happen and your heart breaks over your homeland in a, in a very special way. And our heart is, it's really uniquely connected to these places. Uh, there's, a, there's another term, the first language that you learn, we call this our heart language. And we understand things in our heart language in a way that no other language can communicate. And when you're in a different country, and maybe you don't know a lot of English-speaking people, and if English is your heart language, and you find an American, it doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. You're like an American who I can talk to, who understands my heart language. And if you're from a different country, you understand this. You understand that when you find somebody who speaks your heart language, there's a different level of connection. In fact, um, there is an entire spiritual gift that is really all about communicating the gospel in someone's heart language. It's called the gift of tongues. Now, I have to explain this, even though this isn't part of my message, because if I don't explain it, your brains are going to be wondering what I actually meant by that. So give me two minutes. We'll have some, some fun here. Um, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, I'll put this on the screen for you. This gift is actually defined and then reiterated the definition three times. And it says here, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And 
You're thinking, what, what is a tongue? I think I know. In the Bible, a tongue is literally a language. So this is the most literal way to read this. Uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave utterance. And so this unfolds in verse five, and it says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. So we have different nations coming together, and they're under heaven. And it At the sound, the multitude came together. All these people are hearing this sound and they were totally confused. They were bewildered because, look at this, each one was hearing them speak in his own language, his heart language. So here's what this means. The apostles are preaching in their language and all the people are hearing, but each one is hearing in his own heart language. This this goes on. And he reiterates the definition of verse seven. They were amazed. They were astonished. Are we not, are not all those speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? It's our language. And then to show you the scope of the gift, uh, Luke goes on in verse nine, he says, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, just so we're really clear. Visitors from Rome, and in case you're confused, right, whenever you read in the book of Acts, ladies, you guys are studying the book of Acts and women's Bible study, whenever you see the word tongues, it references you back to this definition, this is what's happening, and it says this, verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. I mean, just think about this. God brings the gospel to these people, and it creates a unique spiritual gift so that people can hear the gospel in their own heart language, which is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy, that's for believers. Tongues, it's for unbelievers. It's so that people can hear the gospel in their own heart language. How special. And then they're gonna take this gospel message and they're gonna go home and they're gonna share the gospel that was received in their heart language to people from their country, and they're gonna hear it in their own heart language. So awesome. That was about two minutes. There we go. In the same way every person has a heart language, every local church family, we also have what we call heart values. Now let me help you understand what a heart value is. Um, You guys all know the, the term core value. Let's just define it. Most organizations, some families, most churches have what you call core values. And these are the attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs that matter the most in a community. So some of you, you enter, let's imagine this, you're dating a boy or girl, and you go into their home for the first time. Does every home have a set of core values, whether they are written or not? You better believe it. And when you violate those core values, right, you're just being innocent, you, you're just doing what you do. Like, if you throw out a I don't know, a plastic fork, and their value is we're frugal. My grandma grew up in the Depression, doggone it, and we save every fork, and we wash them. That's just good stewardship. And you throw that fork out in the trash, God help you. (laughs) That mother will go right in that trash, pull it out, rebuke you to your face, and say, we don't do that here. (laughs) Yay, thank you. It's a plastic fork, sorry. You know, you know a core value when you break it. And, and I think good leaders, they, they should be identifying what an organization or family's core values are. But there's a subset of core values that we call heart values. And here's what a heart value is. They are values so central to our identity that to lose them is to lose ourselves. And so one of my desires over, I've been here now at Village Church about 21 years on staff, I think 19, and 
One of, the, one of the joys that I've had is to watch over two decades now and then to talk with those who have been here over the five-decade history of our church and to hear the themes and the patterns and to really identify what is it about this local church family that if we lose these things, we end up at the end of the day losing ourselves. Now, for most of you, you may not know this, but you have heart values for your local church. And most people's heart values, they were developed by the first church that you felt connected and loved in. And I don't know if you know this, every church can have different, local, can have different heart values. And so you might have grown up in a church that was really meaningful for you. And what you probably don't recognize, and let me give you just words for this, most people, most Christians are trying to replicate for the rest of their lives that experience they had in what they call their first home church. And that experience of being loved and connected, they will not probably be satisfied until they are able to replicate that in another church. And so there's a phrase that people often use when they speak of this home church. It it goes like this. Blank church will always be my home. Have you heard anybody say this? I cannot tell you how many people have moved out of state or left village church over its 50-year history. I cannot tell you how many people have said the following to me. Village church will always be my home. Because this and that 50-year history was the first place where they were loved and connected. And what they found is that the values, the heart values of this place are in their soul. So when they try to find another church, they're trying to replicate what they experienced here. Some of you are here and your heart values, they were formed by another church community and they are good values. But you're recognizing I don't know if this local church and I have the same heart values. And I I want to walk through that and just say, I think that's okay. We can can figure this out. If if your home church, the church that really was the first place you grew, if they used words like, we're part of a movement, we want to grow big, right? And that's not a bad thing. Usually the pastor has a gift of evangelism. Those are not terrible things. um, But you go to a smaller church that has a heart value for Bible study, you're gonna struggle. If your home church valued the senior pastor's incredible gift over everything else, and you didn't go to blank church, you went to this person's church, and then you go to the 99.9% of other churches where the pastors don't hit home runs every week, they just get on base, you're gonna struggle because your heart value is to have the best teacher around. Or if your home church had a focus on global outreach and missions and they gave 10% of their, all of their income to missions and every week there was a different missionary on stage and then you come to a church that has a missions program but it's not as dominant, you're, you're almost gonna feel like something's missing here because you may have grown up in a place where that was so special to you where you got to rub shoulders with missionaries. If you, if you were first connected, if your home church was a place where you had an incredible small group. You are going to want the church you go to to provide for you the same experience. But it's going to be really hard because do you remember how long it took you to feel one with that small group? Years. And you won't replicate that experience for years. And there can be this discontent 
and frustration. This morning, I have two big goals. Uh, I want to help you understand Village Church's heart values. And then number two, I want to help those of you who are newer to really figure out maybe what the next step for you is. And to do that, I want to I draw your attention to the book of Ephesians. Open up your Bibles. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So in the New Testament, most of the books are written to a local church family that is in a specific city. For example, the book of Colossians is written to a local church family in the first century city of Colossae. The book of Thessalonians is written to a first century church in a city called Thessalonica. Galatians, here's a little trip, Galatia is a region. So Galatians was written to a whole bunch of churches in a region called Galatia. Corinth was a city, and the book that was written to Corinth was called Village Church. Corinthians, good job. Uh, the book of Ephesians is written to a local church family in a city called Ephesus. And of all the cities, of all the churches in the New Testament, I think the Village Church has the most in common with the Church of Ephesus. I've spent an enormous amount of time just studying its history and context, and every time I get deeper into it, it, there's something about this church that just resonates with me as I've been here for about 20 years. The two remind me of each other in so many ways. In fact, when I think about some of the inevitable pitfalls that our church could or will experience or have experienced, go to Revelation and see what Jesus says, by the way, to the church in Ephesus. It is regularly our pitfall over our 50-year decade as a church, his warning to them. And I, and I think if you had an Ephesian Christian and they had to move to Colossae or Corinth or Thessalonica, or as they say, they say or Thessalonica, it drives me nuts. I, that's, apparently that's the right way to say it, but Thessalonica. Um, here's what they would say. You have this Ephesian Christian, they go to Corinth. <sighs> Ephesus, the village church of Ephesus will always be my home church. They got saved there, they were formed there, they were discipled there, they were taught God's word there, and now they gotta figure out how to take a different church in a different city with different heart values and make this their new spiritual family. Are they gonna rightly so have a longing for that community that formed and shaped them, their home church? And the answer, of course, is yes, that's not a bad thing, but that's not where they are anymore. Now they're in Corinth, and they gotta figure out who, who is this Corinthian church? And so here's what we find, heart value number one, and this is the heart value of the church in Ephesus. It's also Village Church's heart value. At Village Church, we are a family. In Village Church, it's my home. Now, I'm not asking all of you to say that. All, all I'm saying is over 50 years, this notion is so central to who we are that when we lose this, we end up losing ourselves. And as Village Church grows or shrinks, one of my responsibilities is to make sure we fight for this value. And values are like vision. Like it's there, it's real, you're running toward it, but you never do it perfectly, right? Nobody's ever gonna say we have been a perfect spiritual family. In fact, sometimes um, you have felt like neglected even though we have aspired to be a spiritual family. Your personal experience of that has been a little bit different. But this is the aspiration, it's our heartbeat, it's so central to who we are. Now, I wanna to read to you Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. It starts off and says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. So did, did you know that the majority of people who lived in Ephesus were not Roman citizens? 
In fact, it's estimated that about 20 to 25% of the Roman Empire were actually citizens. The other 75 to 80%, they were servants, slaves, and foreigners trying to survive and make a living. They were, this church, this group of followers of Christ, they were in the most literal sense in the Roman economy, society, and culture. They were strangers and they were aliens. And Ephesus was a place where all different kinds of people from all over the world, they converged. And the Roman citizens, they stuck together. They worked together, they lived together, they played together, etc. And what would often happen with the strangers and aliens is that they would find communities within Ephesus of people who were like them. They either had the same homeland or the same heart language or the same heart culture. But something really special was happening in the church in Ephesus. God was bringing together people from all different cultures, all different heart cultures, heart values, homelands, heart languages, and they found themselves together and they had to be a spiritual family. Do you think that's easy work? Let's think about this. Most of you married somebody, not all of you, but most of you married somebody who was born in the same country, probably has your same skin color, but as I talk to most marriages, I'm going to go 99.6% on this, just acclimating your family cultures and creating a new family, how's that been? Excruciating at times? Fighting? Passive-aggressive? Passive-aggressive, right? You take two family cultures, let alone ethnic cultures, and put them together into a home and say, work it out, be a family, be filled with love. That is a wrestling match. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a wrestling match worth fighting. Not against them, but with them. But it's hard. And I guarantee you, as this Ephesian church started and grew, they were having to deal with various values, heart values, languages, ex expectations, and they had, had to figure out who are we. And what the Apostle Paul is doing, having started this church, is he is going to identify for them, here are the core heart values. As, as verse 19 goes on, there's a conjunction. It's the word but, only one T, don't worry. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but... You are fellow citizens. This is really powerful language. And they're not Roman citizens. They're citizens of God's kingdom with the saints. And then, and then I love this. And members of the household of God. And he looks at all of them and says, I don't care where you come from. If you're in Christ, you are members of this local church. Bigger than that, you are citizens of God's kingdom. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you might have a different language. You might have a different heart value. You might have different cultural values. You might have a different, you name it. But here, you're welcome. And we want to go through the wrestling match of helping make this our home church together. Is that gonna be easy for them? No. Is it easy for us? No. Is it easy for any local church? No, it is not. Heart value number one, at Village Church, we are a family. Uh, I actually want to give you a little bit of history into where this came from, because at Village Church, this value was not created by us or anybody. It was inherited. And it was inherited by the church we were birthed out of. 
And way back in the early 1970s, there were seven families who came from Medina Baptist Church. And if you were around for any of these decades, here's what you would have found. Medina Baptist Church, who really at the end of the day birthed Village Church of Bartlett, had so much in common. So what we found is that they had a school. So a bunch of you who grew up at Village Church, you went to their school. And a bunch of you who were adults, you worked at the school. And what we found over those decades is like, you know what? Like these churches actually have so much in common because we share the same heart values. It's interesting, one of our elders over at Village Church East is a former elder over there, and it's so striking when he tells me about their uh, adult Bible fellowship ministry, all the Bible studies they did. I'm like, we did the same things over here. And, and, and what we found is that these were inherited, these were put into us by our spiritual fathers and mothers, and, and they were given to us, and it was really special, and it still is, and it's something we want to make sure that as leaders, we don't just protect, but we hand off to the next generation. So as you acclimate to Village Church, you're going to notice that we do quite a few things as a family. Let me just give you some illustrations. We do some things weird. We eat together like a family. It's why between services, we always have food out there. We just, we, families eat together. If you're Italian or Greek or really from any country but America, right? Like, what do people around the globe do? They eat, and food binds people together. So we just, we love to eat, and we put food everywhere we possibly can. It's why we love those of you who cook, especially those of you who do savory Sundays. Oh, if we could do savory Sundays every week, that would just be, that would be special. We love to sugar up your kids. You know, your kids go to grandma's house, and they're like, can I have some sugar? Oh, sounds good. Send them home to mom and dad. That's what we do here. We jack up your kids in sugar and then send them home. It's great. Our kids, they have the run of the building don't get, me, don't get me wrong, there are parents watching everywhere in security here and there. You don't have to see them to know that they're around observing. Um, but after church, like kids go nuts here. Why? We just want this to be their home. Outside of their actual home, we want their church to be one of the safest places for them to be. We want them to explore. I remember growing up in an incredible church. I explored every nook and cranny of our church, and it was a huge church. But my church taught me, even as a mega church, we had the freedom to go anywhere we wanted. It was awesome. You'll notice here that um, every single room is multi-purpose. I have an office, but it's also a counseling room, a small group room, and a wanna room. A, I mean, you name it, a napping room for other people. It, it just off the chain. Like uh, Sunday mornings, actually, one of my greatest delights is uh, between services. I'll go in there, and there's anywhere from two to fifteen kids all just eating in my office and hanging out. And we go in and we just hang out and talk, and and we dream and talk. It's it's just a blast. But like this is the kind of nature of how things go here. And so if you're looking for something very formal, where the kids are all under control perfectly all the time, are they like that in your home? If they are, then you're probably a scary parent. We decorate for Christmas sort of like it's our house. Because for many of our kids, this is an extension of their house. They come here during the week, they come here on the weekends, they're here at night. I mean, they're just here all the time. And, and so we treat this sort of like you would treat your, your family room. We picnic together. We have three or four picnics every single summer. And, and this has been going on, gosh, I don't know if, the, how long have we been doing picnics at the Antiochoser Church picnics? 40 plus years? Forever? 
just part of kind of who we are. And, and, and the picnics get bigger and smaller. And sometimes there's 50 people there. And sometimes there's 400 or so. And it's just a blast either way. And everybody brings food. And, and you get to taste all this different kind of food from, from all these different homes. We play together. We serve together. We worship together. Because these are the kind of things that families do. Is it perfect? No, but it's what we aspire to be because it's our heart value. It's in our blood. Um, so before we move on to the, to the second heart value, I just want to um, answer a question I've been working through for the past couple months. How has COVID changed the experience of this heartbeat at Village Church over the last two years? So in your, in your own personal family, some of you have been disconnected from brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, people you used to eat with all the time. You, some of you haven't seen them in a really long time. And now as things are beginning to like, I don't know, be done with COVID-ish, I say that in a very loose way, don't get me wrong. Um, you're trying to figure out like, so what do I do with these old relationships and patterns? Do we start eating together every week? Do we start getting together on Sunday nights again? Do we start going to lunch again after church? These are really challenging discussions that all of you are having in your personal families. But here at Village Church, we're also wrestling through some of this as well. I remember when my oldest brother got married, uh, Pat, it shocked our family system to the core. Here's this woman, and my mother looks at, looks at me and says, I'm dividing the inheritance by five now and not by four. And I was like, how dare you? They're one they get one-fourth of the inheritance. <laughs> but I remember Carrie, uh, Carrie came in, and, and we, were, we didn't know. Like, was she going to be the one my brother was going to marry? He had, he had brought home other girlfriends before, and so, like, we didn't know. And so we were trying to get to know her, and she's feeling us out, and she's wondering how crazy is this guy's family. And I'm the little brother. I think I was eight or nine years old, and, and so I was just super nuts and rambunctious. And she's like, Ugh, I think I like this kid. I don't know, but... So we have this, this challenge where I'm, I'm sitting here and then it's like, then my next brother brings home a girl, Anne-Marie. I'm like, who is this girl? You're going to divide the inheritance again? You know? And then Dave brings home Lene. And I knew Lene. Actually, she was, she was my small group leader at church. And I'm watching all my brothers get married and then they start to have kids and I'm the single one. And finally we bring Brienne into the fold. And, and, and you know what? Like every single person who was brought in required us not to lose who we were, but to bring them in to say, how do we... How do we be family in these new realities? Now they're moving out of the house. They're creating their own families, but we're still the fueling family, you know? And so all of these different, all of these different people are bringing in different experiences and nuances and challenges, um, but you don't want to lose yourself at the end. Now, would I ever go back to a world where it was four single boys living in my mother's and father's house unmarried? No. I love the new reality. I love how God is building our family. And as I, as I think about Village Church, and uh, like, there's, there's just people coming in and figuring it out and trying to figure out, is this going to be my, my home church? You're trying to figure out what we are. You're going to the Discover class, and, and you're just trying to get your head around this whole place. And that's admirable, and you should do that. It's sort of like you're dating, and that's okay. And it can take a while to date somebody, right? Like we say in churches, like date a church and go to a congregational meeting. Try not to become a member until you see how they fight, because every family fights, but I want to know if they fight dirty or if they fight biblical. And so what we find is that COVID has really just kind of blown up the experience of family. 
For months we were disconnected and then for some months we were masked and then we were unmasked and the people we love aren't back. Some people, gosh, how many people do you love have moved away to a different state with lower taxes? So many Heartbreak. Like these are people my heart and soul were connected to. And I get it. The Lord called them elsewhere. But these are all gut-wrenching experiences in terms of how a family functions. When my brother Dave and Lene moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, it's like, wow, this is just, this is a whole different experience now of figuring out how to be brother and sister and family when everybody is really, really far away. We've, we've struggled to acclimate, but we have never lost who we are. And so I think there's this sense where we're figuring out like, okay, a good portion of our church might still be at home or they moved. A good portion of our church came back really quickly or they came back inevitably over the last two years. A really good portion of our church is brand new. They have no idea what the family values are. They're just trying to get to know this place and they're not connected. And we're trying to figure out what is this new reality? Is it worth it? You better believe it. Is it easy? No. Have some people had an easier experience than others? For sure. Are we going to continue to press on? I hope so. Heart value number two. A village church, and for the church in Ephesus, we are committed to God's word. Now, I know every church is going to put this as a core value, but not every church is going to have this as a heart value. Uh, I want to go back to the church in Ephesus now. Look at verse 19. He says, but this household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What is the foundation of this church? It is not their senior elite pastor. It is the word of God built on the written word of God, built on the living word of God, Jesus Christ, who is the foundation, the cornerstone of every local church. It's Jesus Christ. And the way he has revealed himself most fully is in his incarnation and through his word. And so we here, we're kind of like obsessive about the word of God. And it gets kind of annoying for some people because some people, right, they, they've grown up in a church where the word of God was more of like an add-on than it was like the core thing. And I have had people legitimately tell me, I think you preach too much Bible. And what I tell them is, I, I actually don't get mad about it. I, I understand where they're coming from. They say, Bible sermons shouldn't be more than 12 to 20 minutes. I get it. If you come from a mainline denominational church, that makes sense. And so here we are, this sermon's gonna go two hours and 15 minutes, and they're like, their head's exploding, right? No, kidding. But, but you, you can see that like the, even the way things happen here. So I stand on the shoulders of multiple pastors and preachers in this church before me, and they preached actually a little bit longer than I did. And what was modeled for me here and what I had the privilege to inherit was a place that was committed to expository teaching of God's word. And we do topical sermons, maybe 15, 20% of the time, sort of like this. This is like quasi-exposition, quasi-topical. But vast majority of the time, we're just teaching through books of the Bible. It's in our blood. And to lose this centrality of the word of God actually is to lose ourselves. It's to lose ourselves. So here's what this means. It means that we really like to study and teach and live out God's word. It means we really want you, every one of you, from like the youngest of children on up, we want you to love and to understand God's word. We think it's really important that you understand Bible words and theology words. We think it's really important that you're equipped to talk about the Bible, that you understand what is actually going on. We teach through books of the Bible. We're actually really bad at branding sermon series because we're like, we're just still teaching through this book of the Bible. Here we go. 
it's important that all the wisdom that you get from us is rooted in God's word. It, otherwise, it's just fleshly human wisdom. It, it's important that we teach and train you to discern false teaching because we want you to have true teaching from God's word. I could go on. But for us, anything that causes us to be more in love with the written word than the living word, it means that we're falling short. Because at the end of the day, why do we obsessively study the written word? Because it is the revelation of the heart of the living word. And so this is why we want to point you to Jesus Christ in everything we do. It's why the gospel is so close to our lips. It doesn't matter where you're at in Village Church. We want you to know Jesus personally. This is why we worship. This is why we pray, because we want to point you to the person of Jesus Christ. So two heart values. We're family. We're committed to God's word. And this shouldn't need to be said. Um, these values aren't necessarily better than other churches. This is uniquely our DNA. And you might, have, you might be coming from a different church that had different values. That doesn't necessarily mean they're terrible things. I'm sure somewhere in their core values is the word of God and spiritual family. But for us, this is kind of so core that if we lose this, we lose ourselves. Now, I, I wanna make this really even more practical. I've got four so what's for you. Number one, we need to collectively recognize the three biggest threats to any church's heart values. And number one, here's the first threat, numerical decline. Because churches in numerical decline historically do very dumb things. Why? Because they're desperate. And you've heard me say this, desperate people do dumb things. So almost every time you watch a church doctrinally compromise, it will be accompanied by numerical decline. You just need to be aware of that. Village churches had seasons where we've grown. We've had seasons where we've shrunk. And we want to make sure that if we find ourselves in a season where there's numerical decline, I'll give you some just practical reasons that could happen. Um, one is, like, Illinois might do what California is trying to do, amp up our taxes even more, and people might just say, we can't afford it here. And so already all the people we're leaving move out in droves. That's a possibility. Decline could be because of sin. It could be because we didn't protect and guard our heart values the way we should have. There's a million reasons why decline can happen. But whenever you're in a local church, decline's not the end of the world, but you just need to know these are these moments of desperation where sometimes churches can do pretty desperate things. Number two is immature leaders. And, and I want to define this actually pretty specifically because what immature leaders do is they make the local church they're pastoring into their vision. Let me, let me give you an analogy. When you have a child, if you force your child to become just like you, how is that going to go for you? Terrible. Your job is to find out who God made that child to be and to pull out and champion what God put into that child. So when I came to Village Church and I became the lead pastor, it was not my job to make Village Church into my image and likeness. It was my job to find what did God put into this place and how do I pull that out and help this community become the community that God has made it to be. And that has been one of my desires. And sometimes pastors come in and they're just like, well, you guys do it this way. We're, we're changing the values. Here's the new value set. And you're like, but that's it's actually not who we are. It's not who we are. Here, here's the third, the third threat. It's growth. 
And so it's our delight to help every new person understand who we are at our core. But if you experience enough growth and you don't protect your membership or the process by which someone becomes a member, you can then start bringing in new leaders and elders and deacons who staff who don't know the heartbeat of the church and even unwittingly or unknowingly begin to shift and change it. So I want, I want to call out two people who go unnoticed, under the radar, but who have had more of an impact on our spiritual family than I could ever communicate. It's Todd and Jeannie Ulrich. Here's why. Because they teach and lead our membership class. And they hear every testimony. They hear your questions. And their job is to communicate who we are, what is our heartbeat, so that you understand it. For, for some people, they've had to have conversations where, where it might be, hey, I don't think this is a great fit for you. Here's why. For some of you, it's like, I love your passion. Here's ours. Can you live in this world? And for many of you, it's like, thank you for showing us who we are. They're like, a, they're a gate that has protected our church so wonderfully. And so if you've never been through our Discover class, it's basically our membership class, and, and they do an incredible job with that. They're acclimating new people to our church, and they are the gatekeepers in such a special way. And their heart, though, is that every person that the Lord calls here would find their home church, that they would be family and that they would understand that we are just committed to them and to God's word living and written. Here's so at number two. To those newer and wanting to really connect. You may already know this, but I, I want to just state the obvious. There are, generally speaking, three ways that people connect. Here's the first. They connect by joining with people that they already know. So I want to tell you a little bit, um, some background of Village Church to help you understand this point. There are a group of people here who originally attended a church that's now closed in Bartlett called Bartlett Baptist. And when, as the church was closing, a bunch of them came here. And do you know how they connected here? They stuck with each other. And they connected and integrated and did a whole bunch of different things, but they were still in small groups together and they hung out together. And, and even as they were here, they were still together. And I found them to be very open. They did a great job. And, but when they came here, what made the acclimation process easier is that they weren't just strangers all alone. Many of you have come from Harvest Bible Chapel and you have found here other people and it's like you have connected with them. You understand each other's story. In fact, even as you've gotten into community groups, you found yourself connecting and joining with them and that is <clears throat> okay. It's actually good. Here's another one. Medina Baptist. In 2016, as Medina Baptist was closing, um, we had roughly 50 to 60 people come together and we planted Village Church East and a significant group of their core team were people coming from that church. We have multiple Wheaton Christian Grammar and Wheaton Academy teachers, students, families. And when you walk through the doors and you see somebody else, you immediately connect to them and you say, hello. And you, actually, some of you start to join even groups together and Bible studies together. <clears throat> I'm on the leadership team at Westminster in Elgin. And so some of you come in and you find other Westminster families and you're like, I know you. And some of you jump into small groups together and that's normal and it's natural. Um, some of you are homeschool parents and you're in the same co-op and you're like, I know you. And you jump into a small group together. That is good. Some of you are neighbors. Like the amount of times people walk into this church and they see a neighbor and they're like, neighbor, hello. It's hilarious but it's wonderful. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, I'm a Christian. Cool, right? 
There's other ways. Social media friends. This is actually an interesting one. People walk in and they're like, I know you. We're, we, we are on the same group, Bartlett Area Moms, or something of the sorts, the most powerful group in Bartlett, by the way. <laughs> How people connect number two. They find a group of people that click with. Women's Bible study, four youth groups or small groups, community groups, rooted groups, Thursday men's groups, Bible studies. I think one of the challenges people have is they go to a group and they're like, I just don't know if these are my people. And, and we kind of have a rule. It's, it's sort of like with a counselor. If you go to a counselor for the first time and you don't like them, go get a different counselor. You don't have to be committed to something you don't like forever. And there is value of just clicking. A bigger question is, does the Lord want me here? But I think sometimes when you're just newer, finding somebody that you have a connection with, it's really important. But here's, here's the third biggest way that people end up connecting. They faithfully and regularly serve and meet a need. Now, let me, let me just describe for you what this looks like. Anybody who serves, thrilled. Don't get me wrong. There's no criticism here. Serving once a month will not help you connect in the way you probably, your soul wants to connect. Find a ministry, serve weekly, and commit. And this will exponentially increase your odds of being known and finding people you connect with. But these three things, these are the primary ways almost every single person connects to a local church family. So at number three, to those who have been gone a while and, the, and you feel disconnected. You likely feel this way because you are actually disconnected. And COVID disconnected basically everybody. And so this is understandable. I have no criticism. But you're probably learning as you maybe just recently started reconnecting or you might still be at home and you're gearing up to reconnect. You, you're going to find that people have been connecting for two years now. And life has gone on for many people, even if yours has been frozen. Now, I don't have judgment for anybody's life who's been frozen. I'm just calling out a reality. And so one of the realities at Village Church is that there were people who were here for years, and they've been disconnected. And when they begin to reconnect, this place feels very different. I've shared with you that I've stood up in the pulpit on some Sundays and I do not know over a third of the people I'm looking at. Like that, that is a strange experience for me. I, I need to be reminded of people's names like 20 times because this has been the greatest upheaval of where people go to church ever. And there are people attending church for the very first time in ways that, that the American church has never seen before. Praise God. We've often said the village church, it feels like we're in adolescence. And two years when a child's in adolescence comes with a lot of changes, doesn't it? And so as people disconnect and then reconnect, often it looks and feels very different. But the core of who we are, it has not changed. I think if you're in that, that group and you're like, ah, I want to come back or it's just not the same. And I just want to say that you're right, it's not the same. It's okay. And when you do, we are ready for you. Now, churches and pastors of the last um, couple years, they have been trying to figure out why things are so different. And here's some things that the spiritual leaders and pastors have been watching. That the majority of people serving pre-COVID are actually not the majority of people serving, we call it post-COVID. <laughs> I'm just being optimistic there. 
Um, we find the majority of people attending, like if you take the group of people pre-COVID, and then you compare that to the group of people, we'll say like right now in this season, it just looks very different. This is every church all over America, by the way. Pastors are trying to figure out, like, how do we do this? And for some, there's like this feeling of desperation where you beg and beg and beg, but here's, here's what we're learning. Nobody's coming back till they're ready. You can force it, you can guilt them, you can preach on it, doesn't matter. And so here's kind of the new reality that most pastors find themselves in. There's nothing that we can do at this point for those who don't want to come back. Some of them never will. And so this is hard, but I want to say it out loud so you can hear this. Almost every pastor I talk to, community group leader, spiritual leader across America, are having to make a shift in their brains from focusing on getting back the people they love and miss to growing and discipling the people that want to grow and be discipled. So as somebody has been gone and they come back, this place will have changed quite a bit, and that is good and natural for anything in adolescence. But I want you to know if you come back, it's okay. We love, we want to figure out how to make this home and to make you connected, help you get connected because God's desire for you is to be connected to a local church where you are loved, where you serve, and where you spiritually grow. Number four, this might be, if you're newer, say in the last two years you've come to Village Church, let me throw you a bone. Let's identify some unwritten family values at Village Church to help you adjust. You guys ready? It's gonna be a blast. These are the things that aren't written anywhere that I think will help you connect. Number one, we value, whenever we're gonna, this is not written anywhere, I just wanna be clear, but this is, this is real. We value getting what you need rather than waiting to be noticed. So let me give you an analogy. Imagine you're at dinner, and you're at, you're at dinner with your fiance's family, and this is your first meal with them. And man, oh man, did, did your future mother-in-law make the driest, flavorless, like flavorless chicken on the planet, and all you need is salt. Do you ask for the salt, or do you wait for someone to notice that you're sitting there not eating? I think the advice for everybody would be, ask for the salt. It's your future mother-in-law. It's going to be okay. If she can't handle you asking for salt, God help everybody. <laughs> and in the, in the same way, there is a notion that if you're newer, churches should notice you, which is good, and that's true. But what do you do when there's two or three or 400 new people? And those people walk into church and they think everybody's been here and knows everybody the whole time. I'm looking right now. I don't, I'm not going to like draw names or whatever. The quantity of people who are new since COVID right in front of me is astounding. Most of you aren't connected yet, but you look around and you think all these people know who this guy is. They've hung out with me. They've had dinner. They know all the ministries. Their kids are connected. They're serving. I'm telling you, do not take for granted that the person you're sitting next to is as new as you are, and they're trying to figure it out. They might be dating or courting, whichever one you like better, village church, to figure out, is this going to be my home church? And so one of the things I would encourage you is 
this is an unwritten value, but go get what you need. We, number two, really want to help. You're definitely going to need to ask. In a small church of 75 people, everybody knows everyone's business. But once you hit 200 people in any local church, you need to go ask. And let me tell you, anytime our office, anytime a staff member, anytime anybody brings a need, holy moly, you want to see Village Church move and care? This church can care like no one's business. We just have to be told. Number three, our building, it's really limited, and we make the most of it. Can I tell you what we don't have in this building? Storage. Anywhere. So annoying. You might walk in and be like, man, this place is cluttery. It's because we have nowhere to put stuff. We're cleaning all the time. We've taken every single storage room in this building and made it usable for people. We built a uh, garage out back, right, which is one-third the size it needs to be. And then at the end of the day in the winter, who's going to go out there to get everything you need, right? And so you may see clutter. We're cool with it. Like, we clean a lot. Don't get me wrong. But that's just part of being here is it can be a little, it can be a little nuts. We're okay with things not working perfectly, by the way, here. This is another one. Um, we love feedback. I hope you don't get defensive reactions. Like, we know we're not perfect. We know that, like, there's a lot of things we need to work on. That's part of growing pains and COVID and spiritual adolescence and all that other stuff. Like, we're, we're fine with that. Just be nice when you tell us. That's all we ask. Just be nice. For some of you, you went to churches where you had no voice. You have a voice. Just be really nice, and we, we'd, love to, we'd love to help. Here's, here's one of the last ones. Volunteers make this place run, and sometimes, nay, often, details fall through the cracks. We have a, a saying that every new staff member who comes on, I sit down with them and I have the same conversation. We say this, ministry is humiliating. And here's why we say this. Because a successful leader, for most people, it's judged by the quality of the product they consume. That's what good leader is for the majority of people who watch from a distance. And they will say, um, how, how, come you, how come the font size online is too small? How come that singer is pitchy? How come that guitar note was missed? And I'm like, for the love of God. For us, this, this is why we have to reorient people. I'm going to tell you why. Because for most Americans, successful leadership is based on the product they consume. We define success as discipleship. So let me tell you how I see some of these things. When I see a shaky camera, I see a 15-year-old boy being poured into by a production team. When I hear a pitchy voice, I hear a man or woman who is overcoming fear of public speaking, which is far more scary than fear of public speaking, who is growing leaps and bounds in the instrument and vulnerably leading us in worship. What I see when I hear a piano or guitar note missed, I see someone who spent five to 10 hours practicing to love and to serve you well. When I sit here and stuff goes wrong, I go, huh, that's discipleship. That's life. Have your kids ever done anything as they're learning and growing that was perfect? No, and if they did, your rose-colored glasses, stop it. <laughs> Our value isn't perfection. Our value isn't neat, nice and tidy all the time. Our value is discipleship. And so we want to help people grow in that way. So as you kind of get connected here and, and like stuff isn't perfect, we're pretty okay with it. We don't actually mind the feedback, by the way, as long as you're nice, right? So why did, why did we... Why are we doing this message? We, we want you to know our heart values. We want to help you connect. I want you to see what we have in common with the church in Ephesus. And I'm going to add a third one just for fun, and then I'll pray. 
This is to remind all of us that we are connected to the written word, the Bible, the living word, Jesus, and the people of Jesus. We thrive spiritually. And as you connect to Village Church, that's our desire and our heart for you. Let's take some time and pray together. Father, just submit all this to you. I, I know every person here and watching comes with just a different story and background. And, and um, thank you for your local church. I thank you for the diversity of local churches all over the city and all over America and the world. And God, you are so creative. And I thank you for all the ways that your kingdom is being built through local churches. God, may, may we know who we are and love how you're making other churches to be as well. Would you help every one of us connect to your written word, know it and understand it and love it. May that be a catalyst to connect to Jesus personally. And may, may you help us understand what it means to be in a spiritual family that is so culturally diverse. Lord, we love you. And as we come to the communion table now, we just say thank you for Jesus. You are what binds all of us together, despite what local church we go to or came from. And we celebrate what you did for us now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, what binds us together at the end of the day is Jesus. You might be here from a different church. You might be visiting with family. Somebody might have dragged you here, and you're like, I'm just glad you're here. If you've trusted in Jesus, communion is this weekly moment to center ourselves in what is most important. It's not Village Church. It's not your pastors. It's not your community group. It's not your ministry. It is Jesus Christ. So we collectively come together and we remember the most important part of our life, our connection to Christ through faith. If you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, um, two things for you. Number one, we ask that you not partake because to partake is to proclaim you've trusted in Christ. But second, if you've never trusted in Christ, I wanna give you the opportunity right now to trust in him as your God and Savior. I love that becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ is never about the accrual of good works. It's not about being better than somebody else. It's not about the church you go to. It is about trusting in Jesus personally, confessing your sin to him, acknowledging him as your God and savior. So do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he was raised from the dead? If you believe those things, have you personally confessed your sin to him and asked him to save you? And today, if you're ready to do that, you can do that. And Jesus' promise is he will 100% forgive any person who confesses their sin and trusts in him as their God and Savior risen from the dead. If that's a decision you want to make today, I want to encourage you, in just a few minutes, we'll partake of communion. I want to encourage you to partake with us and let that be your first declaration and proclamation that you are a follower of Jesus and you have confessed and trusted in him as your God and Savior. Here's how we do communion um, over this column to my left and also to my right between the double doors are elements. We're going to have a time of silence, um, opportunity for you to confess, and, and then we're going to sing together. And when we sing, you can get up and you can grab elements if you didn't get them on the way in. If you'd hold on to them, we're going to partake together as a symbol of our unity in Jesus. Let's have a time of silence together. <laughs>